0: Well, today is our last in our short series on imitating God. Today we're going to look at walking in wisdom. The next section of Ephesians, I'm so excited about that, we're coming to, it's very practical. We're going to be starting a four or five week series called Family Portraits, Snapshots from Ephesians. We're going to be addressing family and relationships, roles and responsibilities as wives and husbands, as children and parents, as boss and employee. The Bible has a lot to say about all of our relationships, and it will be such a blessing to seek God's heart in our lives from His Word on our relationships. I'm truly looking forward to this, and what God will teach me, what God will teach us. Well, today we come to the third section of Ephesians chapter 5, challenging us to walk as wise which branches off there from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, which says, Be imitators of God. It would almost go without saying, but we serve a wise God. A simple definition of wisdom is the ability to discern what is true and right. Since God is both 100% true at all times in all of his ways, and since God is 100% right in all he thinks or does, God himself is the very essence of wisdom. The very last words of the book of Romans, which ends in this crescendoing doxology, has these words. It says, to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. In Proverbs 8.12 and following, God's attribute of wisdom is personified as this wisdom itself was talking. It starts off saying, I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. God is so closely connected to wisdom that it is personified. In the beginning of 1 Corinthians, uh, Paul talks a lot about wisdom. In our scripture reading today, we read that verse there from Colossians 1.24 that reads, Jesus is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Jesus, in the most complete sense is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. He is God. He is divine. God is the only wise God. And Jesus is the very wisdom of God. When we're told to imitate God, one aspect of that is to walk in wisdom. Ephesians 5.15 commands us to walk as wise. We'll follow along as I read from Ephesians chapter 5. Verses 15 through 21. It says, be careful then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Our simple definition of wisdom that we're working with is the ability to discern what is true and right. But I'd like to simplify that even further, and yet at the same time expand its definition and say that wisdom is really, in essence, understanding God. Since God is wisdom, to get to know wisdom, we must get to know God and what God thinks is true and right. True wisdom is not what we think is true and right, but what God thinks. So often this world says that wisdom is actually just foolishness but it's human, it's our wisdom that is foolishness when compared to God's wisdom. 1 Corinthians 3.18 describes it this way. It says, Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, He catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. Some people who have gained earthly wisdom have abandoned heavenly wisdom. They become wise in this age, but their earthly wisdom has become a stumbling block. And in the spiritual realm, their wisdom has become folly. It is imperative that we understand that the person who is wisdom gets to define what is wise. We should never be afraid of knowledge. Instead, we should pursue understanding. I have a master's degree and I would love someday to pursue my doctor of ministry degree. I love to learn. The problem is not the pursuit of knowledge. My son James, just graduated from high school and all that, his desire in his career is to become an astrophysicist. I used to joke with him and say, you can't be what I can't spell. Of course, he would jokingly respond back to me and say, well, then I guess you're going to have to learn how to spell. See, knowledge is a good thing. I love hanging around people who are smarter than me, which is probably why I fit in so well here at Poland Village Baptist Church. What I'm trying to say is this, that being pro-God does not at all mean that you have to be anti-intellectual. I would argue with anyone that being pro-God actually makes us better at pursuing the truth and wisdom. Because all truth is God's truth, because he is the truth, and because all wisdom is God's wisdom, for he is wisdom. In reality, there really is no difference between earthly wisdom and spiritual truth. If it is true no matter where it is found, no matter who finds it, then it must be, by definition, aligning with God's word, with God's plan, with God's providence, and with God's character. So never let the deceptive teaching of this world lay a hold of your mind. They say that truth in the realm of science and truth in the realm of faith are two different things, two different kinds of truth. Well, as believers, we're called to love the Lord our God with all our mind. We're called to engage in God with the greatest pursuits of our intellect. We never check our brains at the door. We pursue God with all of our heart, with all of our souls, with all of our strength, and yes, with all of our mind. And we pursue God's truth as revealed in His Word, and we pursue God's truth as revealed throughout His creation. With all of our hearts and souls and strengths. And yes, with all of our minds. The world around us says in both strong and subtle ways that Christianity is for those who do not think. Well, I say to them, bring it on. Bring it on. I will bet you all the gold in Fort Knox that you cannot outthink our God. See, our God is wisdom. Our God is true and right. Everything he has, everything he's done, everything he thinks, every plan he has made, every atom he has created, everything he does is true and right and wise. And if we're going to walk like he walked, if we're going to be like our father, if we're going to imitate God, then we need to pursue wisdom. Verse 15 starts off telling us to look carefully. At the very heart of what it means to be wise is to look carefully. A wise driver is constantly checking his mirrors, looking carefully at the car traffic and the pedestrian traffic, always watching, always prepared to make any necessary changes at any second. A wise person who's going out for a walk and comes to an intersection looks carefully both ways. Only a foolish person crosses the street before making sure that no cars are coming. As Jesus said, a wise man looks carefully where he builds his life. See, a wise person makes sure that the foundation of his life is solid and strong, that it's built on a rock and not built on the shifting, weak sands. See, a wise person builds his life on the true wisdom of God and not the shifting sands of human philosophy. Jesus said a wise person looks carefully into the cost of following God as a, as a man does in building a tower, as a king does in preparation for battle. Following Jesus with your life is never a rash decision. It's never a simple decision. Following Jesus takes wisdom because following Jesus means giving the leadership of our lives to him in every area of our life." You see, an unwise person is careless, and hasty, and reckless, and impulsive, and thoughtless, and irresponsible. But a wise person is careful. That is, a wise person is full of care, is thorough, is conscientious, is watchful, and responsible. You know, for a great study of wisdom, just turn to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs. Did you know that the word wise or wisdom is used over a hundred times in the Proverbs? Our God is full of practical wisdom and insight, wisdom that he wants us to know. Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. See, our God has a lot to say about walking in wisdom and, and in his word. So let's look carefully now there from how to walk as wise, from Ephesians. Let's look at how to put on our new self, how to put our new self into gear so that we can walk in wisdom as imitators of God. The first characteristic of the wise uh, that our passage challenges us with today is to make the most of our time, in verse 16. You know, time is a constant reality for every single human. It doesn't matter if you have $10 in your bank account, or $10 million in your bank account. It doesn't matter if you're president of the United States, or you're president of your backyard clubhouse. It doesn't matter if you have a GED or a PhD. Everyone has 60 minutes in an hour. Everyone has 24 hours in a day. Everyone has seven days in a week. Time is a constant reality for every single human. We cannot make more of it. We cannot lose it. We cannot find it. All we can do is spend it. Carl Sandburg once said, time is the coin of your life. It is the only coin you have, and you only can determine how it will be spent. But be careful lest you let other people spend it for you. I've heard it said that we shouldn't just spend our time, we should invest it. It was predicted that in our modern day, and our technology-driven world, that we would actually be working less than we did in the past because of all the advancements in technology. But as we all know, the exact opposite has happened. We're working more and more and more. An extensive study done in 2010 explored the impact of the work habits on the family life in exhaustive detail. The study reported that Americans consider a 40-hour work week as part-time in most jobs. The report continued, uh, uh, work-family conflict is much higher in the United States than elsewhere in the developed world. One reason is that Americans work longer hours than workers in all the other developed countries, including Japan, where there is a word, kuroshi, which means death by overwork. The typical American middle-income family puts in the average of 11 hours more in 2006 per week than that same American family did in 1979. There are significant familial and relational consequences to the amount of time we are spending at work. With greater loss at time in our day, we have a greater ability and a greater need to make the best use of our time. See, a wise person, a person who is striving to be a good follower of God, makes the most of this precious commodity, time. Psalm 90, 9 through 10 says, For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are seventy. Or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their stand is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. In the light of the reality of our finite time on this earth, a wise person makes the best use of the time they are given. James in James 4, 13-14 says, Come now. You who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a time and then vanishes. A fellow uh, college student of mine drew a simple but powerful illustration in the Cedarville University newspaper called The Cedars when the space shuttle Challenger exploded. In 1986. And he used that line from James. Chapter 4.14. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time. And then vanishes. And then three months later. That boy on his way home. For spring break. Was killed in a car accident. I can remember the memorial service for him. Because there on the screen behind us was that picture that he drew about the Challenger to Disaster, reminding all of us students, what is your life? For are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. One of the most important reasons that makes our time so valuable is we just don't know how much of it we have. See, a wise person, a godly person, makes the best use of their time. Another reason we should redeem the time is what the verse says there. It says, the day is our evil. This is the sense that we only have so much time to do good. We only have so many opportunities to do good in these evil days. Because evil and sin is the greatest stealer of our time. Investing our time in selfishness only wastes or destroys what precious time we have. A wise person invests his time in doing good, spending time and doing godly actions that far outlast any confines of time. For a moment, you just make a quick mental list of the things you really value. What in your life do you really value? You know, our, our list would include our loved ones first and foremost, for sure. They'd probably include our home and our church and few other possessions. But would it include time? You see, do, do we understand the value of time in our life? Paul's admonition to live carefully, to make the most of every opportunity, is a stark reminder to each of us just how precious time is. Think about it. If someone takes your money, you're not going to like it, but you can earn more money. You know, if, if you lose a job or, if you, or something happens to your home, it might be very, very difficult But you can get another job. You can get another house. But if something or if someone takes your time and wastes it, you never get it back. Those hours are gone, never to be retrieved. Our time is one of the most valuable things in our lives. What are we doing with our time? What are we doing with the time that God has given to us? Are we making the most of every opportunity Allowing God to use us as he sees fit in his time. Are we walking as wise with the use of our time? The next characteristic of walking wise person is that they strive to understand the will of God. Verse 17 says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. A wise person understands what the will of the Lord is and does it. You know, so often we make the will of the Lord something that is so hard to find. It's like looking for a needle in a haystack would be easier than finding the will of the Lord. Obviously, the harder it is to find, the easier it is for us not to follow and to do what God wants us to do. Part of the problem we have with understanding the will of God is that we often only focus our thoughts on understanding the will of God when it comes to You know, what job should I have? Where should I live? Who should I date? We focus on the will of God as discovering something out there. When the real focus on understanding God's will needs to be in here. Needs to be in his word. See, folks, a wise person knows God's will and does it. Because a wise person is a person who is striving to imitate God, to follow God, to live their lives under his lordship and for his pleasure. God's will is not mysteriously out there somewhere. It is found in his word. If we spent more time doing what we already know is God's will for our life to do, we would have less questions about the gray areas of our lives. Verse 17 says, A foolish person. A foolish person walks around trying to find God's will. It's a wise person who understands it and does it. Do you want to know God's will in the gray areas of your lives? Then start following God by doing his will in the clear black and white teachings of the scripture. God's first will is to make us like his son. Is that the first thing you want in your life? See, a wise person understands the will of God because a wise person is a growing, committed believer whose deepest desire is to know God and to live for God and to love God. Well, another way our passage today challenges us to walk as wise is to to be directed by the Holy Spirit. Verse 18 says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. The picture here is very clear. Have you ever seen someone who was drunk? Have you ever been around someone who, as they say, was three sheets to the wind? It's not a pretty sight. And it's not funny, no matter what our world says. The Bible calls it debauchery. How many people have done things under the influence that they never, ever would have done in their right minds? How much pain, how much misery... How much heartache, how much loss surrounds the abuse of alcohol? How many wives, how many children, how many careers, how many lives have been messed up or lost by alcohol? There are a few things in this world I hate. I hate alcohol. If you drove with a blood alcohol level above the legal limit, you'd get caught. You'd get a DUI. DUI stands for driving under the influence. It's a serious crime. Because the alcohol level in your body significantly reduces your ability to drive. And you are a great danger to yourself and to others. The Apostle Paul is making a very strong contrast here, a very negative contrast, but a very strong contrast, drunkenness. Being under the influence of alcohol is sin and wrong and debauchery. But being filled with the Holy Spirit, being under the influence of the Holy Spirit, is wise and godly and holy. When you're under the influence of alcohol, you lose self-control. When you're under the influence of the Holy Spirit, you gain self-control, which is one of the fruit of the Spirit. One commentator put it this way. There's a certain analogy and a contrast between being drunk with wine and being filled with the Spirit. In both instances, the individual is under control of another influence. The former controls them for evil purposes, but the latter for doing God's will. Everything in life that fills us is just a poor substitute for the filling of the Holy Spirit. What are you filling your life with? What is influencing your decisions? Is it alcohol or any other substance? Is it money or sex or pride? Is it leisure or power or anger? Is it an out-of-balance focus on your rights, on you being loved, on getting from life what you deserve? Is it bitterness or loss or a self-focus? What is filling your life? What is influencing your decisions? Is it the world and its ways and a Do they have a greater influence in your life than God and His ways? You see, a wise person is constantly being filled with the Holy Spirit. A wise person is persistently putting himself under the influence of God's Word. A wise person is consistently, day in and day out, striving to live a life that is pleasing to their Savior. Every believer, at the moment of their salvation, was permanently indwelled and sealed with the Holy Spirit. We never get more of Him, but He needs to get more of us. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is not about adding something new to your life that you don't already have. Being filled with the Holy Spirit means yielding yourself to something, to someone that you already have, yielding to control of the influence of your life. To the Holy Spirit. A wise person is described as a person who is under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Well, then Paul goes on to give four descriptions of what it's like to live a life being filled by the Holy Spirit. He uses four participles that modify being filled with the Spirit. Addressing, singing, giving, and submitting. These are four evidences or fruit of a life influenced by the Spirit. The first is addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. When we're under the influence of the Spirit, we sing. Throughout the Bible, believers overflow in song to God. So often we sing, and our song is like a prayer to God. It says things, it expresses things that we find hard to say. How many hundreds of times has a song expressed our prayer to God better than we could ever have done? How many hundreds of times has Music moved us to worship. The Bible is literally full of music. The largest book in the whole Bible is Psalms, which in essence is an ancient Jewish hymn book. Singing together, our, our worship service, is not just something we do until we get to the sermon. So you see, singing together, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, is part of what it is to express our corporate commitment to being a follower of the Spirit, to being filled by the Holy Spirit. Well, the next evidence of being filled by the Holy Spirit is singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. It's interesting that we're, when we're under the influence of something, we often sing. When we're under the influence of love, for example, we write songs and poems about our love and our dedication, There's a whole genre of music out there, right? Called love songs. Sappy, silly, sentimental. All for sure, right? But nonetheless, they express our heart. When we're in love, we sing. How many hundreds of times has music moved us to deep, significant feelings? Folks, when we're under the influence of the Spirit, Our spirit sings. Our heart makes a melody of song to our Lord. We each have our own unique and special instrument that we play. It's called our heart. You see, the spirit-controlled person sings and makes a melody with his heart to the Lord. Sometimes our heart sings a sad song because they're broken by some challenging circumstances of life. Sing that song to God as well. Because, as any good parent, our Heavenly Father loves all the music of His children. Another evidence of a life controlled by the Spirit is giving thanks always for everything to God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we're under the influence of the Holy Spirit, we see things differently. We no longer just see with our earthly eyes. But our spiritual eyes have been enlightened. A spirit-filled believer is able to see God's blessings in each circumstance of life. One commentator said, Such an attitude is easier to talk about or admire abstractly than it is to practice. For all things includes misfortunes as well as obvious blessings. Yet we can't accuse Paul of glibness or superficiality for he exemplified this trait most remarkably he was writing these very words giving thanks always for everything to god the father he wrote these very words while he was a prisoner in rome he once sang hymns and praised god in a dungeon while his feet were in stocks and his back was lacerated it takes however the filling of the holy spirit that is the submission of the Christian to the Spirit's control in order to respond in all of life's circumstances in this manner. You see, a Spirit-controlled believer is able to see God in all of their life circumstances and give thanks. The last evidence of submitting to one another is submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. One of the evidences of a believer who is spirit-filled is that out of respect and reverence and admiration and worship for Christ, they willingly yield what they want to another believer. A great picture here of of understanding what this means is found in the yield sign. Safemotorist.com put it this way. Listen to this. So says the law gives a right of way to no one, but it does uh, state who must yield, who must give up, The right-of-way. Every driver, motorist, moped, rider, bicyclist, and pedestrian must do everything possible to avoid a crash. When you yield the right-of-way to another vehicle, you are letting them go before you in a traffic situation. Few areas of traffic safety are more misunderstood than the yield to the driver on the right rule. Amen to that, right? Amen to that. This is a rule that controls most intersections when drivers arrive at an intersection simultaneously. For instance, here's the application. For instance, you come upon a stop sign at the same time of another driver in a cross street and he is on your right. You yield. You give up the right of way to that driver by letting them go first. It's a vivid picture of submission. Folks, if If we put this simple driving rule into practice in our lives as believers, how much better would we be showing the true evidence of a spirit-controlled life? When you come to those intersections of your life, when you meet there at the same time as somebody else, in anger, in hurt, in heartbreak, in bitterness, and there you are at this intersection of life, do you step on the gas? And force your way through? Or do we submit? Do we yield? Do we give the right of way to the other? A spirit-controlled believer yields the right of way of their lives to God and to each other. Is yielding a regular part of your spiritual walk? Do you yield the right of way in your life to God? Walk as wise in making the most of your time, in understanding and doing the will of our God, and in being a spirit controlled believer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we have listened to your word this morning, and it is powerful. It is sharper than a two edged sword, and it pierces between bone and marrow. It It comes into our lives and into our soul and into our spirit and it changes us. It convicts us. It comforts us. It gives us hope. It spurs us on. And today, Lord, we have met with you and your word and we pray that's exactly the truth for us. That your word is in us and changing us and moving us. Lord, we desire to imitate you. We desire to be Christians, little Christ's followers of Jesus, to walk in love, to walk in light, to walk as wise. Help us, in Jesus' name, amen.